Today I'm talking with Roya Musapur, who is a senior from Larchmont, New York. She is a physics major with an education minor, and she is also a classical violinist who has played with Guster. So hey, Roya. Hi. The other thing Roya um, has been is a um, Gibbons fellow for me when she worked with me on a research project where she was pretty convinced I didn't know what the hell I was doing. She also brought me into the Twitterverse in many kinds of ways. So hi. Hi. All right, so we are going to talk about three questions. The first is what's most important to you. The second is what does a liberal arts education mean to you? And the third is um, what do you wish your professors knew about you? And in there, I'm also going to include the special mini-series question, which is how have you sort of changed or um, how has your experience been different at Bowdoin than you expected it would be as a first year? Because you were in my first year seminar and now here you are as a senior and I had you not this semester but last semester in teaching and learning and curriculum development. So what is most important to you? I think on the a grand scheme, I would say what's definitely been something that's important to me for a long time is obviously my family, and I've come from a very multicultural family. I have, you know, on one side of my family, my dad was an Iranian refugee in France many years ago. On the other side, everyone is American going far, far back on one side, and then Lithuanian immigrants on, I think, my great-grandparents on one side. And I have a huge family, and they've all been very influential, whether for the better or for the worse at times. Um, but that's somewhat, I think, the nature of large families in general. And I think through what I've seen in really close and functional relationships in my family, as well as less so, is how I really want to make sure that within my family as well as in the rest of my friendships and relationships um, outside of my family that I really try and keep that same closeness and focus on being together as my family has. What does that look like for you at Bowdoin to be close with your family? Um, would you describe your parents as helicopter parents, that people, the kind of thing that people are talking about all the time, or is it a different kind of closeness that isn't captured in current representations of what uh, young people and mm -hmm. you know, college students' relationships are like with their families? I would say at different times I've definitely called my mom a helicopter mom, and I would be happy with her hearing that on this, <laughs> <laughs> and she knows I've definitely thought that over time. What can you, are you comfortable, oh, the other thing I didn't tell you before, and I'll tell you now, is you can always say, this is not appropriate material for your podcast, we can talk about this later. Okay. Um, so, um, are you comfortable talking about ways in which your mother might act like a helicopter parent. Yeah, so I think it goes back from a long, long time ago. Just always growing up, I felt that my mom was really strict compared to other people's parents. And in high school, I went to a private school in New York City, so everyone lived in 
Manhattan for the most part, and I would want to go into Manhattan to go hang out at someone's house and then sleep over in the city so that I could stay out with friends. And that was something that until, I'm trying to think, maybe junior year, my parents would still want contact information for other people's parents to be able to get in touch before I stayed over somewhere. And I wasn't really allowed to go to the parties in New York City. Part of that, I think, was because my parents didn't want me around that culture in a way. And part of it was just that it was difficult for me as someone who lived in Westchester to go into the city on a short notice without having a way home that was really reliable and super safe as, you know, a 16-year-old female in New York City. Um, But other than that, I think I was always very independent and responsible about my work, but I felt like I had... I had a mom who who still is very focused and involved. And I think that has definitely affected my relationships with other family members, most notably my brother, which is what I think you were thinking. I was As I said that, no. Um, <laughs> so I think that, so my brother also goes to Bowdoin. He's two years younger. And I have the tendency to mother him. Mm. And that's something that I think I... I wasn't even going. <laughs> that's where I thought you were going with that. I think I have the tendency to parent him a bit and try and give him advice that is less often heard as older sister who has more experience doing these things and more often heard as why aren't you doing the things that I did my way because my Mm. way is right. Mm. Um, And I'm not going to attribute that to my mom because my mom was always very good about letting me do what I wanted and trusting me with that. But I think just that involvement from my parents was definitely Mm. something that has transferred over. My acapella group on campus likes to call me dad. This is their, I've, (laughs) I've often. How do you go to the, what, what, why do you occupy the masculine um, parental figure in? So my acapella group, we have two seniors. Um, I'm the business director, and then the other senior is the music director. So she's responsible for day-to-day operations in rehearsal. And what that means is she's usually the one telling everyone to shut up, and I'm the one who cracks a dorky joke in the background. But I also have a car, so I often schlep people around, whether it's to a concert or to the Common Ground Fair at the beginning of the year. Um, But... For whatever reason, I have claimed the term dad rather than soccer mom. Does she she have soccer mom moniker? No, she just has mom moniker. Okay. Very specifically, (laughs) not soccer mom, but just mom. But I think it's this whole dad joke phenomenon that's happened everywhere. Exactly. I've definitely embraced that. How... How did you adjust to the freedom you had at Bowdoin when you came here? Um, If you had fairly strict upbringing where your parents were definitely making sure they had tabs on you, how did you manage those Mm -hmm. first couple of months where you could um, not, where you did not have to be accountable to them for your behavior or whereabouts? 
I think I adjusted really well. Reflecting back on it now, at the time, it always felt like my parents were somewhat overbearing. Looking back now, I think, how on earth could they not have done that Mm -hmm. and that everything seemed pretty reasonable. I think I gained a lot of independence and my parents trusted me a lot because Mm of, I guess, the relationship we had when I was in high school. And I came to Bowdoin and felt that I think socially the hardest transition was making new friends, but that in terms of independence and making sure I did my laundry and if I made some food in my dorm room I would always clean it up right after that was something that never I think was a big adjustment for many people but that was something I felt very confident about doing at the very beginning and I think has definitely stuck through Mm. all of college how um do you see yourself sort of going through life. I don't know if it's, you you talked about, you know, what's important to you is that you want to make sure you maintain that kind of closeness that you have both with your family, but then also to build relationships with folks um, who are friends um, Mm -hmm. and to have that kind of closeness. And it sounds like sort of that uh, sort of mutual, like Mm -hmm. interdependence, with uh, close friends. And I'm curious, have you been able to do that at Bowdoin? And how do you see that playing out as you move into the next part of Mm -hmm. your life where you are now going to work in Boston, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the harder things that I've struggled with over time. I think it's something I feel very strongly about in that I really want close friendships and close kind of mutually close friendships but that's something that I'm not sure why necessarily has been a struggle for me but I think in certain ways over time I've been in a different place than other students sometimes Mm. I'm also not great at staying in touch with people if I don't see them frequently not that I don't want to but I have certain friends from from years and years ago who I can see after not having spoken to for a year and a half and have the greatest time, but then we'll just not do, I won't do a great job at reconnecting quickly. But I think my mom and I have had many conversations over the last four years about how I try and make friends and really forge close relationships with people because I haven't found that to be something I'm naturally that good Mm -hmm. at, whether it's, I think in certain ways, and this is, I guess, just giving an example from college, the social scene at college, whether it's Bowdoin or many other places, tends to revolve a lot around either meals and meal plans with people or weekend activities. I'm not the biggest partier. I would never rather go to a huge party. I'd always rather have a few friends over for dinner, let's say. And that's something that I have felt pretty strongly about since freshman year. But that's something that when you come into a school as a freshman, all of a sudden that new independence, everyone just wants to go experience college for what you've heard college is supposed to be like. And for me, that's never been a really attractive thing about college and it's been tough for me to kind of find 
those people who also have a similar interest in, you know, enjoying other people's company. I'm, I'm somewhat of an introvert, but I'm not antisocial at all. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, it's sometimes a hard place to be in because I want to be very social on my own terms, but I don't necessarily want to go to a party right. where I can't hear other people and where there's a chance someone is going to spill beer all over me. <laughs> did you ever live in any chem-free housing? I did my sophomore year. How was that? It was an apartment, and it was down on School Street across from Wild Oats. Oh, is that one of the ones they're shutting down, I think? They haven't. Too. They shut it down after my year. So okay. that was, Bowdoin used to rent that okay. from private owners. Okay. And that was less so because it was chem-free and more so because... That was the easiest way for my roommate sophomore year and I to make sure that we had an apartment with a kitchen. Oh, that was less, it was less the chem-free was your motivation, I understand. There were five of us living together and we just wanted to make sure that we had a kitchen. And so the only way to make sure that five people, I think the only place where five people could live together and have a kitchen. I understand. Was that housing. Got it. Got it. And have you lived off campus since then? Since then, mm-hmm. and that was even a kind of technical off campus, even though you were in Bowdoin housing. You were quite well, a ways. That was physically very far from campus. Right, that's what I mean. And then since then, I've actually lived officially off campus. Right, right, right. So I haven't been in a dorm since yeah. freshman year. What is your thought about uh, the limitation? The uh, <laughs> the proposal to limit how many students can live off campus? I think in that many colleges do something like that, it is somewhat reasonable, but colleges, I think around here, Brunswick has such a low cost of living in general that there are people who make their livelihood off of student rentals. And I know this, for just as an example, my brother is living off campus next year, and the woman he's renting from had to petition to have them be allowed to live off campus. Um, and her reasoning was that she is already not filling the, the house in the fall, only in the spring, because all of the guys living there in the mm. spring are abroad in mm-hmm. the fall, but she needs to just cover her costs. She won't even be making money off of them, really, but she needs to just cover, essentially, taxes and any maintenance costs, because otherwise she'd be losing money because of this limit. I think what it well, really that's, that's, means... That's interesting that because we don't have enough of the population mm-hmm. here that it's not like we have... There's there's fairly high vacancy already in Brunswick, mm-hmm. possibly, right? Because there's not a lot of population mm-hmm. here. So, And I think at other schools, there are some schools where the vast majority of students live off campus. Yeah they don't have campus housing for students. And then other places, I remember when I visited Wesleyan, Wesleyan doesn't allow any students to live off campus. Wesleyan has essentially purchased all houses near campus that are anything like what a student house off campus here would be. Mm. And they allow seniors to live in them with however many number of students in the bedrooms that there are. And basically, from what I've been told, campus security or police, whatever they have there, is just a little more relaxed about what happens there. Mm -hmm. And I think people on this campus, and I'm not sure about statistics, but if I had to guess, I think most people live off campus 
because that's one a way that you are guaranteed your own bedroom if you want Mm. because Mm -hmm. even as a senior here you're not guaranteed your own bedroom and two I think a lot of people move off campus to party in my case it was completely the opposite (laughs) and I wanted to move off campus because I wanted a bit of a break and I wanted a kitchen and I wanted a nice space where I could come home after a long day of classes and feel like no one needed to bother me Mm -hmm. and I think that is a a much less heard reason for why people move off campus around here. Well, and also the impact on the community, too, is another Mm -hmm. piece that we haven't heard much about. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Um, So what does a liberal arts education mean to you? So I think many things. I have struggled with thinking about that over time because I really value that I've had this multifaceted education, but I also acknowledge that in certain fields you're at a serious disadvantage if you've come in from a liberal arts background. So I next year am working in economic consulting, and I think if I had been a physics major from another school, I would not necessarily have been qualified for that work because I probably would have taken far more physics classes and far fewer classes that focused on a lot of writing and critical thinking from a more humanities-based focus. And I think that having done all of that here has set me up well for something like that. But if I had wanted to pursue, let's say, a PhD in physics, it would be much harder Mm -hmm. coming from a liberal arts school. You haven't done so shabby, though, because you... um also had worked at NASA for the summer, right? Like, so, so let's keep, I I had my experience doing that. Right. So you, you were able to get this coveted, um, what is it called? Uh, REU, is that right? Mm -hmm. So what I did wasn't technically an REU. I think, what does that mean? REU? I think it's research experience for undergraduates. Okay. So an REU is typically NSF funding given to a university to run a program. Got it. So what I had was funding through the main space grant consortium, which basically means NASA has money for students to work at NASA over the summer, and they've divided it up between states, and then the states choose the students and then give them that funding, but then the students have to go back to NASA and figure out where they're working. So there are a ton of intermediate steps. Basically, NASA ultimately is funding you to work at NASA for the summer. What did you do at NASA? And where did you work at NASA? Yes, so I was in Huntsville, Alabama at the Marshall Space Flight Center, and I was working on a project developing the science behind a gamma ray detector that would detect gamma rays coming from the Earth rather than from far, far away. That's the short of it in, in less scientific terms. Give me the scientific term version for the people who are not making the face I'm making right now. A brief scientific version would be that we were developing a cube satellite. So that's about 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 30 centimeters. That was supposed to fly in, I think actually it's supposed to fly next year, but for terrestrial gamma ray flashes, which essentially are large gamma ray bursts coming from from the earth, that if you have a number of satellites, you can triangulate 
the location that they come from, and that helps us learn more about thunderstorms. I actually understood your second okay. um, <laughs> explanation much better than the first. Okay. And I thought that was really, uh, that's fascinating. Would you want to ever do that kind of work again? I don't think so. I think my, I had, so I actually spoke at a career planning panel last week and had someone come up to me afterwards and ask me about my experience at NASA. And he asked me a really interesting question in that he said, well, you did one summer of research is that necessarily a good metric by which to base the rest of your potential career? And I said, no, I didn't really enjoy my summer there. There were a lot of things about it that I think were somewhat unique to government work in that when there's no funding left, there's no funding left and your project stops and you can't continue. And that happened to me in the middle of the summer. And that's not something as an intern that you expect to happen. Wow. But I think the reality was I had a mentor who wasn't super focused on the project itself because he was mm. worried about getting the funding for his own work. And that I've since been told is pretty standard mm, mm-hmm. across other disciplines and within physics as well, even outside of government work. But I found that what I was doing didn't seem to have a huge impact in a way that I could see it. If even if that just meant because the satellite wasn't flying in two years, but it seemed like, oh, we could learn things about thunderstorms, but I wasn't really even sure as an intern what the purpose was of that and where Mm. that research was going to be taken next. And so... Afterwards, I decided I didn't really want to do something where I couldn't see the purpose of my work, even if what I'm doing next year is not necessarily the pinnacle of important work in the world that needs to be done. Right, but you can still see purpose. You can say, right. here's the reason why I'm exactly. con- and that was doing my experience. this analysis right now. That was my experience this summer was I could present something to my team or listen in on a conference call with my team and the client and be able to say, hey, I did that, and that's mine, and they're using that with this however large, important company in the United States. Yeah. What did you think being at Bowdoin would be like for you, Um, or who you thought you would be when you were in my first year seminar Mm -hmm. on urban education? Um, and where I'm, are you now? Or And I guess mm-hmm. like one other thing I could ask you if it works better and if you like it better is like, what would you tell your first year self now? So I think to answer the first part, I think I came in expecting this picture-perfect liberal arts school experience. And I think I've... Now, almost at the end of school, I really have loved college, but there have obviously been parts that haven't been great, and Mm -hmm. that, I imagine, happens to absolutely everyone. But I came in being so excited about everything, and there were nights that I, you know, I get typically eight to nine hours of sleep a night, still, to this day. And freshman year, there were nights 
maybe three or four nights in a row where I would not get nearly that because my entire freshman floor was staying up late, hanging out together. And I felt I always needed to be involved and I was going to miss out on everything Mm. if I wasn't there all the time. And I think that's been the biggest shift since then has been I can make of this experience what I want of it and I don't need to be always involved and always there and always present and things will go on and things will be okay. (laughs) And I think that's kind Mm -hmm. of where I am at the end now. Mm -hmm. I had someone ask me, a few weeks ago, like, oh, like, how, how are you feeling about graduating in a month or in two months? I looked at them and I said, I'm, I'm ready. There are certain things that I've really loved about college. And there are other things that I think I'm at a healthy point where I'm feeling over them. You know, party culture. I'm over party culture. <laughs> Just over that completely. I don't need to do that anymore. I never really did in the first place, but I have much less patience for drama and people doing things that could affect them really poorly. I don't really have a ton of Mm. respect for that. And I understand that people need to come to that on their own, but you know, people drinking too much, that's your own decision. There's no need to do that, in my opinion. I have never had poor social interactions because I haven't been doing that. And I think it's that's something that people need to come to on their own. Mm. And that standing here as a second semester senior, I can't look at everyone and be like, really, you don't need to take five shots in a row. You will still have fun if you want to have fun. But people don't really want to hear that from no, anyone. They're probably, no, they're probably, you're probably not going to no. win a lot of friends no. by going around <laughs> and offering that kind of feedback. Yeah. Um, have I changed at all? Do you feel like you and I mm. have a different relationship? Over, like you and I have worked together almost pretty much every except for while I was on sabbatical Mm -hmm. every year that you've been here. I think we've become far more casual with each other. (laughs) The fact that you text me now when you want me to show up at a certain time. I think that's actually something that's happened with a number of my professors over the years is at this point, even in the physics department, I've started organizing about once a month usually the seniors. We've done, I think, two events now. One time we went out to trivia with all of the physics professors down in town, and then we went bowling with them another night. And I think that's, I've really been trying this semester especially, but over time I've moved more towards this more casual relationship with my professors, because in my mind, yes, I'm learning from them, but they're also people, and they're people I find really interesting and that I want to get to know better. And maybe in certain cases that realization has happened second semester of my senior year, but I think starting freshman year, I was probably significantly more formal in any emails I sent you or any interactions we had, and I don't think that's the case at all at this point. Yeah, which was probably the right, like, yeah, for for, first years listening to this, that is the right track to take. In fact, I just looked at a student today and I said, all right, look, at this point, you can just write to me and say, Doris, comma. But the person you just like CC'd me on the email to, you didn't have the Mm -hmm. sort of background with them Mm -hmm. to be able to pull that off yet. Next time 
use Ms. So-and-so or Professor. So, mm-hmm. so it, was, it wasn't a professor, so that's why I'm saying Ms. So-and-so. But, right, go formal until, until you've been told you can do go otherwise. otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Um, what do you wish your professors knew about you? I think I'm the, you'll laugh when I say this because you've seen this happen before. I have a tendency when I get really, really stressed out just to cry. That wasn't where you thought either. But no, I but think, that, I was going to talk to you about the crying. I was going to ask you about yeah. crying in professors' offices. The amount of Kleenex you've used it. It still it still happens. But I think I have had. I remember a professor's sophomore year who saw me cry and contacted my dean, and I had to go speak with my dean because the professor was worried that something was really wrong. And in reality. Ever since I was a baby, I just have a tendency if I get stressed to cry and then it's over and then I'm completely fine. And that's just how I release a lot of stress. You know, there are people who do it in much less healthy ways and there are people who probably do it in much healthier ways. But crying is my biggest stress release and I think I wish all of my professors knew that because I think there have been times where professors have been really worried when there wasn't necessarily a reason to worry. Do you want to know what I thought you were going to say? Yes. I was going to say, I'm trying to remember how we ended up um, working through this, but this was last semester when you were so angry and you had gotten so rigid. Yeah. Right, and where I thought you were going to talk about um, the ways in which you kind of threw a fit until you figured it out, and then you figured it out, and then everything was awesome. I don't know if I necessarily want all... Like, it's fine being on here, obviously, yeah. but <laughs> that's, I think, something that I need to work on a lot more. I yeah. personally don't see an issue with right. my crying, and so I'm almost oh, okay yeah. with people knowing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah to understand that about me, but the being rigid and not wanting to budge on something until I've completely figured it out and feel really comfortable about something, that I think is something that I have been trying to work on really hard over time, but isn't necessarily, it's it's not a very good excuse in a way. I can tell someone that I cry and that that's how I really stress and that's fine, but I think of the other thing as more of yeah. a working point for, I understand. <laughs> for myself. Right, you, right, right. Not that, like, oh, accommodate me to this. Right, 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 right. right. But I, I found, I realized as we were going through that last semester, I was like, oh, I was like, why are you being so difficult around this, you know? And I was like, that's so weird that we're experiencing this major there are some things Dif- difficulty, right? I think that have happened because of you and then others that have happened because of other people on campus where, and this is something I've spoken with my mom a lot about over time, is just that I think until sophomore year, I was incredibly rigid about everything and could never find fault in myself for things. And since I think you have been good at pointing this out and my boyfriend has helped a lot with this as well, in that I am now much more focused on thinking about the things that I 
not going to say I don't like about myself, but things I really need to improve on. And that's one of them, <laughs> basically. <laughs> well, or even just that it's okay to not be perfect. Yes. Right? Like I'm still a perfectionist in my work, yeah. but I don't. Yeah. There's no part of me that yeah. says everything in me is exactly as yeah. I want it and will be that way for the totally. rest of my life. And I just have to say, like, it was so, um, it was so great to see you last semester sort of get so frustrated because you really wanted to figure this thing mm -hmm. out. And then when you figured this out, you were spectacular. Thank you. Right. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was sort of fun to watch you go through the process through the initial madness yes but that we, we got past it and yeah. um and um it's good for even uh for you to be able to know that about yourself right that when you sense that feeling coming up mm -hmm. okay i'm on the edge of something right i'm gonna figure yeah this out which usually for me you know i want i have the reaction right before i like, I'm about to go, like, figure something out is I want to, like, crawl under my bed. Like, mm -hmm. usually that's, like, the feeling of, like, if I can just hide from the entire world right now, everything's yep. going to be okay. And then, like, very soon after that, things are all, like, yeah, I've definitely sort of fall into place. I've gotten to a point where I can recognize the feeling of being almost to a very bad point where I'm about to have a breakdown <laughs> of some sort. <laughs> And that's a big recognition for me to make. I'm not quite to the recognizing and preventing part, but I think that'll come with time. Yes. Well, and we didn't, we never got to the breakdown point. That's true. We went to the we, edge. We didn't. We, we were almost to, there. We, we went were to very the edge close. And we touched it and we came back with some class. Yes. All right. Roya, thanks so much. Let's go have dinner. Yes. Okay. Thanks for having me.